temptation that you have is and we all have them and yeah we live in a culture where one temptation seems worse than another and it's really easy to say oh I'm not like that I look down on them but you're like you and you got your own stuff see the beauty of God's love is that God knows that all of us have issues we're all tempted and that is exactly why Jesus of Nazareth came and died pastor Daniel just described all of us It doesn't matter who you are, man, woman, child, young or old, you have and will continue to experience temptation. And Jesus was no different. One of the wonders of his humanity is that he was tempted in all points as we are, yet he was without sin. This glorious truth should bring us comfort. We have a Savior who truly knows what it's like to be tempted. We can respond to him by turning to him when we're tempted seeking his strength to say no to sin. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with our continuing study entitled, Jesus is Human. Notice what it says. See, Jesus grew up like we did. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. Some of your translations, he was obedient to his parents. Wow. Last week we made the case Jesus is fully God. But in Jesus' humanity, Jesus subjected himself to his parents. So Jesus grew up in an environment like we do. Imagine this. Jesus' parents were as dysfunctional as our parents have been. And know what's amazing? I'm a parent now, and I realize, man, I'm a dysfunctional parent too. My poor kids. Jesus grew up just the way we did. He had history. He had neighborhood kids. We don't think about this. What was Jesus like? I mean, Jesus hit puberty like everybody else did. The almighty voice changed. I mean, can you you imagine? Just like, you know, like the voice just changes. Jesus knew that he... In his humanity, he had complete identification with all of humans. He grew like the rest of us did. Notice in the midst of this, as he's obedient to his parents, it says, and his mother kept all these things in her heart. Mary's looking at Jesus, knowing all the things that have been said, and she's keeping these things in her heart. It says, he increased in wisdom and stature, which means that when Jesus was a little kid, Jesus wasn't fluent in every language. He grew and learned just like everybody else. That's part of Jesus' self-identification with us so that he can die for us was that he grew up just like everyone else. And it makes me think of Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, when the Apostle Paul says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. See, in Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul goes to great lengths to say Jesus in every way was fully identified with being a human being. He was born of a woman. He was born 
under the law that he might buy back those who are under the law and see us adopted as sons. And in that language, it was sons and daughters. They didn't have the, the, the gender issue bias that we have in 21st century West where we feel like, oh, that's not fair to women. In that culture, sons were sons and daughters. If that culture would have said daughters, then it would have been daughters. It meant sons and daughters. It doesn't matter. The idea is, the idea is, is that Jesus was a human. He was real. He came in flesh and blood. He grew up like the rest of us did. And his upbringing was not perfect because he was the only perfect one. I mean, think about this. Can you imagine the stories about a young Jesus? So, so your dad ain't really your dad, huh? Nope. Your mom said that God's your dad. Yep. I mean, ima- imagine that. Do you think that was easy for Jesus? Do you think there wasn't stuff that came along with that stuff? Now, when you start talking about Jesus being human, there's, there's the error that's happened in Christianity, which because Jesus is the son of God, then people want to say that Mary is the mother of God. Catholics have, have grabbed hold of that because if Jesus is the son of God, then... Mary must be the mother of God. Listen, I want to make an important distinction, and we need to think about it because the Bible says it. Mary is the mother of Jesus' humanity. Mary is the mother of Jesus' humanity. But divinity can have no origin, or else it's not divinity. So Mary added humanity to the equation. And that's why, because people believe, well, Mary's the mother of God, then if that's what you believe, then you have to elevate her to almost godlike status in order for Jesus to be a God-man. And that's where the issue comes. You think of the old Catholic prayer, the Hail Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. That comes right out of Luke's gospel. Right out. But it's the second stanza that they get in trouble. Hail Mary, mother of God. Pray for us now, sinners, at the time of our departing. That's nowhere in the Bible. So what's interesting, they get the first thing right. Hail Mary, full of grace. And hail means something. It means behold. That's, that's the old word for it. Behold. First stanza, right out of the gospel. Second stanza, not anywhere in the gospel. Hail Mary, mother of God. No. No. She was the mother of Jesus' humanity. And we want to make sure we get that right. Because if we don't get that right... We have all sorts of problems. Now, with that being said, because of the elevation of Mary in some circles that within what is commonly called Christendom, we have to make sure that we don't overcompensate on the other side and make Mary like a second-class citizen. Because she wasn't. Mary was given the gift that every Jewish woman had ever prayed for. God, let me be the mother of the Messiah. And she was blessed among women. And blessed was the fruit of her womb. But what happens is, is because one person elevates, we make a reaction to that theology, and then we diminish her, which we shouldn't do either. She was the mother of Jesus' humanity, and I would say that makes her pretty darn cool. That'd be a cool thing. So we don't want to overcompensate in our beliefs because of someone else's overcompensation. She was the mother of Jesus' humanity. But Jesus grew up just like we do. And then from there, I want you to turn a few pages over to Luke chapter 4. As we look at the temptation of Jesus, Luke, so just turn over, in my Bible it's one page, 
Luke chapter 4. And we're going to learn here that Jesus was tempted like us, yet he did not sin. Jesus was tempted like us, yet did not sin. So just as Jesus is human and he grew up, he was also tempted like we are. Look at what it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Verse 5, then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Verse 9, Then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you and in their hands. They shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Now, in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul makes the case that Jesus is the second Adam. Do you ever wonder why? In the Garden of Eden, God created the first Adam. And you realize that the word Adam, although it's a name in our language, it's the word man in Hebrew. That's what the word Adam, if you ever want to, you know, be uh, snazzy with someone and impress them. Say, I know a little Hebrew. You say, Adam. It means man. It literally means mankind. When Adam was created, and then God created Eve as well, they were the first people who were created by God, right? But Adam and Eve were meant to live in paradise and innocence perpetually, and so were all of us. But we know that they failed, now God has his own son come, and as his son is tempted, his son doesn't fail. So Jesus is the new and better Adam, who God created for a perfect world and yet didn't fail. And that's what this series of temptations is all about, showing us that Jesus did what Adam couldn't do. And when you think about this temptation, in 1 John 2.16, it tells us, that all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This threefold temptation. And you know what's interesting? Satan uses this same threefold temptation on every single one of us. He did it to Adam and Eve. He did it to Jesus, and he does it to you and I. Because think about it. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, when Eve was tempted, it says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes... And a tree desirable to make one wise, she took its fruit and eat it. You notice what it says. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. That's the lust of the flesh. We all need food, and some of us more than others. Right? 
Right there, it's just the lust of the flesh. Your body needs food. Think about what happened with Jesus in these verses. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. And then it says he was hungry. According to medical reports, when you don't eat for a while, for a, you're hungry in the beginning and then your body stops being hungry because it's just trying to keep yourself alive. And then when the hunger returns, it means that you're dying of malnutrition. That's, what's, that's what doctors will tell you. So it says that Jesus fasted for 40 days and afterward he was hungry. What it means is at this point, after 40 days of fasting, Jesus is at the point where he's dying of malnutrition. It's the body's last ditch effort to be like, you need to get food in me before we're gone. And then Satan comes and says, ha, if you're the son of God, turn those stones into bread. Why? Because Jesus needs food. The lust of the flesh, but yet Jesus didn't fail. He quoted a scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, and said, no, no. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So at the lust of the flesh, Jesus does not sin. Of course, the lust of the eyes. Genesis 3, 6 again, that it was pleasant to the eyes. That tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of a paradise, that fruit looked really good. You guys know what it's like, right, when you go into Chuck's or something? And all of a sudden, you walk right into the fruit section. And these, you know, they put the best fruits in front. You're like, mm. the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. She sees it's, it looks good. You think of, of course, Jesus. In his second temptation here, he takes him up to a high mountain. What does he do? He shows him all the kingdoms of the world. He shows him all of it. And he says, hey, man, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you this. It's mine. I can give it to whoever I want. You can ima- I mean, imagine that. Imagine if you got taken up into a helicopter and you're looking over Portland and sitting like, hey, I can give you all that. You'd be like, man, that looks good. Monies would be different then. See, the lust of the eyes. You know what's interesting about Satan's temptation? All of the kingdoms of the world are Jesus's anyway. Ultimately, Jesus is going to be the recipient of every kingdom in the world. So what's the temptation? The temptation is the crown without the cross. That's what it is. You can have it without having to do it God's way. And brothers and sisters, guess what? That's how Satan tempts us, doesn't he? Jesus said, look, I don't want you to lust with your eyes. I don't want you to cover it with your eyes. God says, I have a plan. I want to give you blessing. But Satan says, you can have it. You don't need God's blessing. You don't need to do it God's way. It, it reminds you of J- the book of Joshua. Remember when, when they went and they, and, they, and they destroyed Jericho and God said, don't take anything. But Achan, remember Achan? Achan wanted. He grabbed a couple things. He hid it under his tent. Because God said, not yet. But then once they conquered AI and following, they got to keep everything. See, oftentimes, God's not saying no. Oftentimes, he's just saying, not yet. Not now, later. But Satan comes up, I'll oh, just take it now. Oh, yeah, just sleep with somebody outside of marriage. You just want that intimacy. Just take it now. When God's like, no, no, no. I want you to be in a committed relationship. Because when you're committed, then you're committed and it's real. And that person's going to stick by you, or they should. They've said, I'm devoting my life to you in thick and thin and up and down. For richer or for poorer. See, the lust of the eyes is crafty. Because oftentimes, Satan comes like, oh, listen, you don't need to worry about it. You want to 
God's work done God's way. Just, just cut a couple corners, man. It's good. Everybody does it. Why are you taking the long way around? See, those lusts of the eyes are crafty. And guess what? Doesn't Satan do this with all of us? There's not one of us. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and of course, the pride of life. The pride of life back in Genesis 3, 6. What was the temptation? Not only that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, desirable to make one wise. Oh, the pride of life. I want to be wise. And now I know I'm from an Italian from New Jersey, New York, and a wise guy means something different there than it does other places. But we all want wisdom. I mean, we pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to be educated and, and lots more money on books and all these things. Because wis- and wisdom's not bad. The pride of life for, for Eve is you're going to be like God. You're going to be wise like God. For Jesus, what does he do? He takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple. And he says, Jesus, throw yourself down. It's all good. Why? Because if Jesus throws himself off the pinnacle of the temple, and Satan, see, he's crafty. He knows God's word. He just doesn't believe it or submit himself to it. He starts quoting verses as well. He quotes Psalm 91.11 and Psalm 91.12. See, Satan, when he realizes he's not getting anywhere with you because you're using the word, he'll start taking the word and twisting it on you. He takes the truth of God's word and he applies it in a way that's false. That's what he does. And he says, listen, I'll bring you up here. Throw yourself down. The angels will catch you. And everyone will say, wow, the Messiah's here. Get some adulation, some notoriety with the public. It's the pride of life. It's the pride of life. But yet notice Jesus again. He says, nope. He quotes from Deuteronomy 6, 16. Don't test the Lord your God. And what happens? Satan leaves. Satan leaves. See, brothers and sisters, this teaches us that Jesus is tempted like each one of us. In his humanity, Jesus was just as tempted as you or I. And it makes me think of Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. This is what it says. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Everybody listen. No matter what the temptation that you have is, and we all have them. That's a universal constant for the human condition. And yeah, we live in a culture where one temptation seems worse than another. And it's really easy to say, oh, I'm not like that. And I look down on them. But you're like you. And you got your own stuff. See, the beauty of God's love is that God knows that all of us have issues. We're all tempted. We're all tempted. And that is exactly why Jesus of Nazareth came and died. Because all of us fail in a multitude of ways. For some of us, you can't get around a batch of cupcakes without eating all of them. For some of us, every time somebody gets a blessing, you're mad about it because you think you should get a blessing. For some of us, you can't get around alcohol and it's bad. You can't get on the computer or else sin happens. The reason Jesus died is because that not only are we tempted, but we fail. All of us do. 
from the oldest one in Christ to the youngest in Christ, from the person teaching the Bible to the person cracking it open for the first time. We're all, we all fail in a multitude of ways. And that is exactly why Jesus died. That's why he died. He died because every time we fail, it ruins our relationship with God. It destroys our intimacy with God. It destroys our relationship with ourselves. And it destroys our relationships with everybody around us. And we've all done it. But Jesus didn't do it. And that's why he could die in our place. So I want you to look at, at your spouse, at the person next to you, and, and, and just look at them and say, sinner. Go, you can do it. Don't be scared. Say, sinner. Go ahead. Say it real good. Say, sinner. Now that's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the other person on the other side and say, sinner. And now I want you to say out to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner too. We're all the same, except for Jesus, and that is why we believe in him. That's why we believe in him, because he, amen, he was tempted, but he wasn't a sinner. He didn't give in to the temptation. I know it's beautiful. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it tells us that there is no temptation that happens to a person that's not common for all of us, but in all ways, God is faithful and he gives us an escape route. So no matter what your temptation is, no matter, you don't, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you don't have to live out that temptation. Because by God's grace, by God's spirit, and a little good old-fashioned decision-making that God has entrusted to you, you don't have to do that. We choose to do it. Each one of us, whatever our besetting struggle is, we choose it. You don't have to do it. You choose to do it. You know, I love Pastor Bill so much, and I'm so impressed with him. I mean, as Pastor Bill lost all of his weight, and he's kept it off now for a number of years, it's amazing. Sometime in our break room, people bring in all sorts of goodies. You know, and I just start salivating. I just salivate even before I walk by the break room. Because I just know it's a break room. You never know what's going to be in there. I mean, this money, someone blessed us. They brought in a whole couple trays of ribs and be, I mean, it was awesome. Awesome. Oh. But I mean, honestly, Pastor Bill, someone will make a brand new cake. I, I, I'm so impressed because Pastor Bill's like, look, I'm never going back there. And he'll come in and he'll take a little sliver of it. And I'll always make some joke because I'm like, man, look at this guy. And maybe Pastor Bill, if he's being sassy, will have two little slivers of it. But he doesn't eat half the cake. And it's great because he's like, now that I lost my, I can enjoy things. I just don't have to enjoy as much of it because I don't want to go back. And I'm like, ah, what a righteous way to live. God's done a work there. And I'm like, Lord, I want to be a little more like Pastor Bill in that regard. See, you don't have to eat half the cake. You choose to. You don't have to look at garbage on the internet. You choose to. You don't have to be judgmental. You choose to. And God wants to empower you and me and all of his people to make new choices. God-honoring, righteous choices, empowered by his Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus gets it. Jesus is real. Is one sin worse than another? How about in the realm of temptation? Is one temptation worse than another? Pastor Daniel shattered that notion when he said that we all face temptations and they're all the same. 
It's what we do with those temptations that matter. This is one of the core reasons that God had to become a man, so that he could live a victorious life in a world full of temptations to sin. Pastor Daniel covered quite a bit in today's message. Perhaps you'd like to review? You can listen to today's message again by logging on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Just select today's date from the media player. Another way to get in contact with us is by email. The address is info at JesusIsRealRadio.com. By far, the best way to stay current with everything that you hear on Jesus Is Real Radio is to subscribe to the podcast. Subscribing is easy. Just follow the link at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Now be sure and tune in next time as Pastor Daniel will decipher a common title for Jesus that we've all heard in the Bible. Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. What does that mean? I'm a man. Does that mean that he's like me? Daniel will share with us that this way of describing Jesus is another way that Jesus identified with the commonness of man. It's another way to say that he was like us. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. From all of the production team here at Jesus is Real Radio, we want to say thank you for tuning in. Until next time, may the Lord bless you.